0: So it's great to be together. We're going to, this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple of chapters from the middle of Revelation, chapters 12 through to the middle of 14. We're not going to be reading it all, but I'm just going to read a little passage from it, and um, here we go. This is what it says, Revelation chapter 12, the words will come behind me on the screen, and starting at verse 7, it says this, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you he is filled with fury because he that he knows that his time is short the title of this morning's talk is here be dragons Now, that phrase was supposedly used on maps in the distant past when huge swathes of the world were unknown. It was allegedly used to discourage people going into the unknown because there may be dragons there. Actually, it's an urban myth. There are no examples of maps ever inscribed with the phrase, although there are a couple of old globes from the early 16th century with that phrase inscribed on it. Nonetheless, the phrase that we use, here be dragons, is intended to create fear, foreboding and to discourage us going outside our comfort zone. No doubt each of us could write the phrase over an area of our lives. For me, it should be written over the front of Ikea. (laughs) Here be dragons. Well, last week, I had a week off the week before last, I ventured over the threshold. And uh, the plan was to put some bookcases um, in my uh, study at home. So I uh, measured the gap between the skirting boards, and uh, it was 2.4 meters exactly. And I worked out that I could get four uh, 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 bookcases and fit them in this gap, exactly 2.4 meters. So I went to Ikea, Uh, I managed to uh, lug this stuff out and uh, get it home. Uh, Annette went out because whenever I do anything like this, she doesn't stay in the house. And um, so I I literally, what I did, I made first schoolboy, I I stripped everything out of all the boxes and and then I put the bookcases together and I started fitting them in. Got to the last one and there's a gap of about 40 centimetres. Uh, well, the, the bookcase is 40 centimetres. Put it together, and I measure the gap, and it's 38 centimetres. 38 centimetres. And in that moment, in that moment, I just had visions of Annette coming home and all these bookcases being against one, the and there being one at right angles coming out in the middle of the room. And uh, so I, I looked at it, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, no, what have I done? And uh, then I measured the bottom of the bookcases, and the gap was just 40 centimeters and I realized what was happening that they'd started to say so why I did I managed, I shoved these bookcase in you can't get a bit of paper between any of them it they, they will not move ever and I tell you Annette walked in and she went I mean this this says all about me and DIY okay she walked into the room and she went wow that's amazing And all I was thinking was, you do not know how close that was to a disaster. Here be dragons. And as we come to chapters 12 through to 14 in our series on Revelation, it would be easy to simply scrawl the phrase, here be dragons, over the pages, and quickly move on. These are some of the bleakest chapters in the Bible with at first glance little positive encouragement. They're full of bizarre imagery a multi headed red dragon, strange beasts, a talking statue, a pregnant woman with wings, a mark of the beast, and a lamb. I mean, it sounds like one of Annie's really strange dreams. I'm sure she has some strange dreams. But actually, God wants to speak to us this morning through this passage. And over recent weeks uh, here at Hope, We've been talking about Revelation being apocalyptic literature, visual Im- imagery intended to tell a bigger story. In fact, it's intended to tell the story of human ages throughout history from different perspectives. And the important thing is not to get lost in the imagery, but to remember and understand the meaning that's trying to be conveyed. And today we're going to find there's great encouragement in these chapters And I just read an excerpt of it. And as we start, I quickly want to draw out what the threads, what's the the story behind this. You see, John's vision suddenly jumps to uh, a view of human history from a vantage point of heaven. And in these chapters, we see the devil portrayed as a, a dragon, trying to usurp authority in heaven. He's no match for God and his angels, though. And in the ensuing conflict, he and his followers are thrown out of heaven down to earth, and even though he's defeated, the devil uh, seeks to uh, establish control over the earth and all who live there. And in particular, he looks to damage God's people, to harm God's people, and to stop God's great plan of salvation, God's great plan of redemption, putting everything right. He looks to try and stop it and slow it down. And he looks to kill God's Messiah, Jesus And when Jesus is born, despite the devil's attempts to kill him, God protects him, keeps him safe. And eventually the devil turns his efforts to seek to destroy the church and bewitch the hearts of people who were called to worship God. And these chapters summarize the big story of the Bible. And from them we're going to find some important truths which are going to encourage us to press on in our faith. And there are four things I want to draw out. And the first one is this, is that knowledge provokes action. It says this of the devil, He is filled with fury because that he knows that his time is short. In Spain, uh, in a city in Spain called Valdeled, there's a statue, and it's a statue of uh, marking Christopher Columbus's great exploits, his adventures, and his discoveries. And uh, the statue has a phrase on it, and it's the phrase is "non plus ultra, no more beyond." And that was the uh, catchphrase, if you like, of, in Columbus's time of the, the, the Spanish uh, uh, Empire. There is no more beyond. This is it. And Columbus wasn't satisfied with that and Columbus... Pushed beyond that, went beyond that phrase. Here be dragons. Non plus ultra. There's nothing beyond. And he pressed beyond it to accomplish his destiny. He found, he discovered parts of the new world. He explored areas that no one had ever seen uh, from the uh, uh, mainland Europe before. And this statue has uh, on it. It has a lion, and the lion is eating uh, one of the words, and it's eating the word non. So it says plus ultra, more beyond. There's more beyond. Don't be set, basically it's saying don't settle for where you're at. And as we del- delve into the chapters that, uh, that we're talking about this morning, chapters 12 through 14 in Revelation, uh, we can clearly see in them the devil and his demonic followers. We see his rotten heart laid bare and his ultimately, uh, ultimate destiny uh, laid out before us. He's lurked in the shadows over the centuries, by and large unseen, remaining hidden behind kingdoms and philosophies, and all the while working out his wicked schemes. He has made the most of his anonymity. C.S. Lewis once said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. These chapters expose him. He exposed, he's exposed as the ancient serpent from the Garden of Eden who deceived Adam and Eve. He's exposed as the devil and Satan, the one who constantly accuses us before God. He hates God and has rebelled against him. He blasphemes him. He slanders his name and his dwelling place. God has hurled him out of heaven. God has defeated him once and for all. The devil is not deluded about his destiny. It says he knows that his time is short. And yet that knowledge provokes him to a reaction. He may be defeated, but his fury rages. He won't lie down quietly. There's no good in him. He doesn't fight by Queensbury rules. He will do the most damage that he possibly can to God's kingdom and God's people. He hates God's people with a passion. He is furious. The knowledge of his impending doom provokes him to do his worst. This has caused many to fear and lose heart. Actually, I want to tell you this morning, it should encourage you to do the opposite. Because we know something. The devil is a defeated foe. He and his demonic followers have lost their place in heaven. Just as the devil's knowledge provokes him to do his worst, what we know should provoke us to do our best. God is stronger. Through Christ we have overcome him. We have a great destiny. Don't let here be dragons be written over any part of your life. Don't let fear stop you fulfilling your destiny. Press on and don't give up. What we know should cause us to resist the devil and flee temptation. Knowing what we know, how can we be indifferent? If we believe these truths, then surely we should wholeheartedly and passionately follow Jesus Christ. Don't let there be areas of your life behind closed doors. The devil loves closed doors. He loves dark places. It's where he does his worst. Don't allow the devil to control your past, uh, to use your past to control your future. He has been defeated. Jesus' challenge to his church in Revelation is to stop being deceived, to return to our first love, to do the things we did at first, to stop being lukewarm and allow him to come in through the doors that have been closed to him. He's standing at the door knocking and wants to come in to his church. Don't allow dark corners in your heart. Let's not allow dark corners in the church What about us? Are we lukewarm? Is our life marked by compromise? Is the devil making mischief in areas of our lives? How can we know if that's true? Let me give you an example. You see, when you the devil knows him, he's he's in a rage, he's furious. One of the, the one of the hallmarks, there are several fear, anxiety, but one of them's rage. And sometimes there are areas of our life where we are so hurt and so uh, uh, uptight about what's happened. What we do is we shut it behind closed doors. And we don't want to go anywhere because we know that it's, it's, what's happened is so it, it, we're so angry about it. And what happens is occasionally the door bursts open and suddenly we find ourselves, we're in a rage and we're angry and we're, we're cross and we're furious and we, we can't seem to control it. God wants to deal with dark corners like that. He doesn't want there to be doors that are close to him. He doesn't want there to be areas of our lives where there are, as a big sign written over, here be dragons, don't go beyond there. You can't go beyond there. God wants to set you free this morning. Don't give the devil a foothold and allow anger to dominate your life. Let Christ rule in every area of, of your life. This is what Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Knowledge should provoke us to action. The second thing is this, that we are all followers. We're all followers. We all follow Someone or something. It says this in chapter 13, verse 3. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast, followed the devil, followed the devil's followers, followed what he was up to, followed his way of thinking, his way of doing things. It says in chapter 14, verse 4, about believers that they follow the lamb. The lamb is Jesus. They follow Jesus wherever he goes. Revelation makes it clear there are only two sides. You are either a follower of one or the other. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're automatically under the devil's sway. The Bible makes it clear that we are born in sin, born in rebellion to God, living without reference to God. And when we live like that, we are under the the devil's sway. He's called the prince of this world. He may be defeated, but he still has some control. God doesn't want us to be followers of the devil but the devil's determined to keep us following him and so he does it by deceiving and deceit causing us to be uh, uh, fooled into wrong thinking wrong thinking about God, about the church about heaven Paul Describes salvation starkly he says this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 for he that's Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Jesus brings us from the under the rule under the sway of darkness and he brings us into his light into the kingdom of God and as a result, we're to be those who follow him wherever he goes. He is our great savior. He's the one who died on our behalf. It talks in Revelation, these chapters, it talks about the lamb slain before the creation of the world. Jesus' death was planned long before the world ever came into being. This was God's way of dealing with sin and rebellion once and for all. He wants us to know him and love him. He loves us. We heard it this morning. He loves us deeply and he sent his son for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us. What wonderful news that is. He wants us to follow him. And then these... Next week, we're going to be picking that up. Next week, we're looking at the next in our series, Following Jesus. And we're going to be looking about hearing his voice. Jesus himself said this. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Be there next Wednesday. We're going to be looking at what it means to follow Jesus, how to hear his voice. How can we follow him in these days? You see, in chapter 13, verse 11, we're told this that the devil and his followers are able to look like a lamb, but they always sound like a dragon. That's the phrase that they, it uses. He looks like a lamb, but he sounds like a dragon. You see, the devil masquerades as an angel of light, he knows the Bible. He even quotes. Scripture at Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, the devil tempting Jesus, he quotes Scripture at him. At the Son of God, the devil quotes Scripture. Outrageous. He is able to present himself as an angel of light, as a lamb. But he sounds like a dragon. And so it's important as Jesus follows that he learn to hear Jesus' voice, to discern what his voice sounds like. We need to know when God is speaking to us. Let me say, when someone comes and gives you a prophetic word, you need to weigh it. The Bible says it needs to be tested. We need to know whether it's God speaking or not. So if you get a, let me give you some some help. If you get a directional prophecy, here are some good questions to ask. Is the person bringing it part of my church are they someone who's submitted to authority what do my leaders think about it does it line up with what the Bible says does it sound like something Jesus would say before you do anything ask yourself has the decision been birthed well If it's about a job move, are you moving because you've basically fallen out with your boss and there's a relational mess and you just want to escape from it? That might be the right thing to do, but it might not be. Is the decision marked by peace or disquiet? Am I at peace or am I desperate to make this happen and be right? Is it causing turmoil in others around me? What's the reaction of those I trust? Are they they pleased for me? Paul's advice is this. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's how the kingdom of God operates. That's how Jesus operates. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and approved By men. We're all followers. The third thing is this. We need to exercise godly authority. And as you read through chapter 13, the early verses, what you find is that the devil delegates authority, gives people some of his authority. And he gives them authority to make mischief and cause trouble. And in chapter 12, verse 10, it says this of us. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. The devil may be able to delegate a little bit of his uh, authority to cause trouble and mayhem, but Jesus Christ has authority and he delegates his authority to his followers. The devil has authority over this world at the moment but it's, he knows his time is short and it's coming to an end. I mean, he may be a fearsome foe, and he may delegate his authority to his followers, but we must not be fearful. He gives them power to deceive, because he's a liar and the father of lies, we're told in John chapter 8, verse 44. Have you ever wondered why some people can uh, say what they like? They seem to get away with it. They seem untouchable when they slander Christians, when they mock the church, when they ridicule God. Have you wondered why anyone seems to be able to do anything provided they're not a Christian? And if they're a Christian, suddenly all hell breaks loose against them. Don't be surprised. Instead, be encouraged. Revelation reminds us that we have authority. He may have some authority, but we have Jesus' authority. Now has come the authority of God's Christ. We've been given authority to set people free who are oppressed by the devil. The devil people leaves people enmeshed in deceit and spiritual darkness. The devil always brings darkness. He brings fear, anxiety, anger. Those are his homer. Those are his calling cards. He loves dark corners. But we have authority and we have the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the light. His life brings light to men, we're told in John chapter 1. When Jesus breaks in, when Jesus' authority comes in, it brings light. It dispels darkness. We're to be those who bring light to those around us. We're to be those who, Paul says to the Philippians, shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. How do we do that? Well, we do that by our interaction with the people that we meet. This week, Annie met up with someone, and this person had has been on cancer treatment, and uh, this uh, cancer treatment it's been a, it's been a drug they've been told there's that there's no cure for cancer they uh, were expected to die but they went to the Royal Marsden and they put them on a trial drug it didn't work for any it's, it's not been working for anyone else but it's been working for them and uh, it's, it's it, they've been well and it, it seems to it's just held it where it's at at the moment the cancer where it's at at the moment i heard this week that it stopped working Suddenly the clock starts ticking again, and Annie goes goes round to to see this person's friend of ours, and um, she's not a Christian. Lovely, lovely person, and Annie just says, "Be, be careful, I pray for you." And she prays for it. She prays, "God, be merciful with you, heal this lady." Prays for God for it to know peace. You know, they say it's weeping, of course. She brings light into darkness. She brings hope. We're praying that her and her husband come to know Jesus because that's the the real hope, isn't it? We're praying for healing, but we're, we're praying, God, turn their hearts to you. May they find you at this time. We've been given authority to bring light into darkness. We have authority to pray for the sick, to confront wrong behavior, to pray in Jesus' name, to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, to exercise spiritual authority. But it's not having a badge, it's not speaking loudly or telling people what to do. It's about going to the one who has ultimate authority and following his lead. There is a great example of this in Matthew chapter 8. A centurion comes to Jesus. And uh, Jesus, he says, my servant's ill, will you come and do something? And Jesus says, I'll go and I'll, uh, you know, he'll be healed. The centurion, that was enough. The centurion said, that is enough. You don't need to go any further. I'm a man who understands authority. I understand that you have spoken. You have given your word. You have given your word on this, and I am going to hold you to your word. You don't need to go any further. I trust you. It's Jesus is staggered. He said, I have never seen faith like this in all Israel. For the centurion, his word is enough. And when we're under pressure and facing opposition, we turn to the one who has all authority, who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, the one who has overcome, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And we speak in line with what he says. His word is enough. We have overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony, it says in chapter 12, verse 11. It's about authority. And finally, it's all about worship. You see in chapter 13, you see the devil, he's desperate to get people to worship him and follow him and you know, to, to worship anyone other than God. And if you worship anyone other than God, the devil is receiving your worship. It says this in chapter 14, verse 3, about the church. People who've given their lives to Christ. And they sang a new song. No one could learn the song except the redeemed. God has put a new song in our hearts. It's all about worship. History could be summed up as a battle for worship, worshipers. From the very beginning, the devil has craved worship. He turned Adam and Eve away from worshipping God in the Garden of Eden. His desire was to get Jesus to worship him. You read in Matthew chapter 4. He says, I will give you all of this if you worship me. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The devil has always sought worship. In Romans, Paul tells us that we, uh, when we were far from God, we suppressed the truth and we exchanged the truth of God for a lie by worshiping and serving created things rather than the Creator. Nothing has changed. The devil still desires and is seeking worshipers. His aim is to turn us, keep us from worshiping God by not trusting Him. We've been singing this morning, I'm going to trust in God. It's a battleground because the devil doesn't want you to trust God because that's part of you exercising your worship. He wants you to not trust God, to be filled with fear and anxiety and anger because he wants you to be worshipping him rather than he wants you to be worshipping God. When He wants us to take our eyes off God. This is a battleground for worship, the hearts of men. It's a battleground for our worship. It's so easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus. the devil is always throwing out these subtle little did god really say did he really say that i'll give you all that you want the devil deceives he's a liar we are always worshiping worship is about it's not about meeting our needs or about getting what we want out of a situation. Worship is about us glorifying the God who created us. Worship is more than we say. It's demonstrated by the way we live. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Who are we worshipping? Who do we worship? What's first In our lives? Is it ourselves? Is it our families? Is it our jobs? Is it our desire for money? The devil's aim is for you to worship anyone other than God. We are to be those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony about Jesus. We are to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. God wants to be first in our lives. He doesn't want there to be any areas of our lives where there is a phrase, here be dragons, you can't go in here. You can't have control of this area. I'm going to ask Craig to come up. Now, Craig, there was an area of your life, wasn't there, where there was like the phrase "Here be dragons" written over it. Tell us a bit about what that was. Um,
1: so, yeah, it would have been my um, my attitude towards my father. Um, yeah, basically. Um, um, yeah, so he he left our home when I was fourteen, and kind of since there, I've held on to resentment towards him and that's kind of yeah that's that's the issue and you shut God out of that area yeah I mean so that that happened before I was a Christian but that was very much a um becoming a Christian that was still I wouldn't have said it was a no-go but I wouldn't have mentioned it I wouldn't have said this really needs to change or or anything like that so yes yeah it was it was a no-go area yeah
0: and so uh, that area, that door behind which there was sort of like area of darkness. Tell us what's happened recently. God started speaking to you about it, hasn't he? Yeah. So
1: um, so recently, he um, so um, at New Day he put his finger on it and he was like, "This isn't this isn't good." Um, and so these last couple of months, just been walking through that, been. Um, just, I've been like, okay, you've told me to do this, I'll, I'll go here. Um, but I'm a bit scared. Um, but anyway, been walking through that. He's been very patient and gradual and, um, yeah, just opened up and opened up my heart and helped me see healing, healing in a way I'd never thought possible, really. Um, and I uh, was able to meet up with him. And the moment I met up with my dad, I could tell something was different. Like, my heart, what was dead was now alive, and you're just like... That's incredible. And it's also, it's not just with my dad. It's with all, all my relationships, really, and with my other family as well. So, yeah. And
0: so you've allowed, so so dark area. Come on. So a dark area, and you've opened the door. You've stepped through. You've ignored the, I'm not going to go here. And God's brought light. And it feels good. Yeah, 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 definitely. It, it, yeah, totally. And uh, there's more to there's more to do, but God's in it and He's with you. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. There are numbers of us here today who have areas like that that are no-go areas, and it's it it creates fear and anxiety. I I, I don't want to go there. he could have honestly you could have stayed there Craig that was fine <laughs> but there are areas like that where we shut God out and, and we shut God out and, and we would sort of betray, yeah yeah it's okay but actually deep down we know that actually behind that door actually we don't really want to go there We don't really want God to do that. And I just feel this morning that God wants you to know there should be no area of your life where that phrase, here be dragons, is written over it. God wants to bring light. He wants to set you free. Can I ask the worship band to come out? You see, if there is an area that's like that in your life, God Just brings light and it illuminates it in your heart, and you start to you already know, you're already feeling God prompt you about it. Because God wants to bring His light. He doesn't want there to be areas like that. He wants you to He wants you to know something. He wants you to know that Jesus died on the cross, that those chains can be broken, that fear can be dismissed. Jesus died on the cross and has conquered. The evil one. He has defeated him. He has paraded him, we're told in Colossians, through the heavenlies. And made a public spectacle of him, triumphing over him through the the grave. Jesus has risen from the dead through the cross. Jesus has won the victory. God wants you to know that. God wants you to know something and he wants you to take some action. He wants you to follow the lamb wherever he goes Jesus is the one who breaks through. He's the one who opens doors that can't be closed. If he's opening this door, no one can close it again. Hallelujah. That's his promise to you. And I want you to know that he has all authority. He has authority. Now has come the authority of his Christ, God's Christ. God's authority comes and he wants you to be set free. He wants you to be able to worship God in the midst of, out of that issue. He wants you to know what it is to be free, to be able to say, God, that may have been a mess, my past may have been a disaster, but you know, I can worship you because you are God and you have set me free. It's not an issue anymore. It's not a dark area in my life. We're to be those who walk in the light. It says this, A.W. Tozer, we're going to, worship in a second. A. W. Tozer says this, the purpose of God sending his son to die and rise and live and be at the right hand of God the Father was that he might restore to us the missing jewel of worship, that he might come back and learn to do it again, which he That we might learn to come and do again what we were created to do in the first place. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. To spend our time in awesome wonder and adoration. Letting it get right into our labours. Everything that we do. Every part of our lives. And doing nothing except as an act of worship to almighty God through his son Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us.